Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, friends of animals, and welcome to the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm Marie Hewitt, and I am so honored that you're listening to our show on KJAZZ 88.1 FM. This morning, I've invited immediate past president Barb Krauss and current president Eric Kern from the Parrot Education and Adoption Center to share all the latest news from their organization. And after our halftime break, Marianne Doe will be reviewing a few animal books by one of her favorite authors. So stay right where you are, and we'll begin after a very quick message from the station here on KJAZZ 88.1 FM. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Place Radio Show on KJAZZ 88.1 FM. I'm Marie Hewitt, and I'm very happy to introduce our first guest of the morning. It's Eric Kern from Piac. Good morning. Actually, we pronounce that peace, don't we? Yep, we sure do. It's P-E-A-C, and it stands for... Parrot Education and Adoption Center. Awesome. I love you guys because you do such great work for our feathered friends, and I know there aren't a whole lot of rescues out there for these animals, and they really need a lot of help. How many animals do you guys take in? Well, um, currently, just the statistics currently we're working with is 23 birds in our foster program and with about six or seven on the waiting list. Wow, and And that's just currently... Yeah, that's just for this year. Uh, we've we've been successful, though. We've had nine very successful adoptions. Wow. So we're very happy with those numbers as well this year. That's really great. And I, I know on a nationwide uh, basis, literally hundreds and hundreds of these birds are given up every year because people don't Actually, know what they're Marie, getting into. Actually, it's more like thousands. Uh, I, was, I was worried you were going to say that. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is very sad, you know, some of the statistics that come from U.S. Fish and Wildlife regarding parrots, his companion. Why do you think um, that's the case? Well, I think it stems from just lack of education on the subject. Um, people see them as beautiful, colorful, and warm and ugly, wonderful birds, and they want to have that experience, but they don't really calculate how intelligent they are. Um, they're like having a two-year-old running around that never grows up. And that's um, going to so be anywhere need... from 15 to 85 years or longer, Absolutely. depending on the type you get. Yeah. Yep, some of the smaller species we currently have um, will live probably to 30 or 40, maybe even 50 years. Wow. But the bigger green-winged macaws we currently have will live to 70 or 80. So they are a lifetime commitment. And, and if you're beyond. getting one as an adult, then you pretty much have to plan on having a home ready for them after you shuffle off. Yes, um, a lot of with our adopters, we encourage them, though we can't force them to do this, but we strongly encourage them to take out a life insurance policy and leave the proceeds to the bird so that in the event of their death or passing away of an accident or whatever, then the bird is actually set financially to be cared for as well. Oh, that's excellent. That way, if they do have a person already designated to care for the bird, there are funds associated with that, too, so that yeah. they can properly care for them. Because veterinary bills alone well, for yeah, a parrot... Well, yeah, I think that is another part of the lack of education on getting involved with having a pet parrot is the cost of vet care. 
um, it's easy to go into the thousands of dollars for an, for an illness that a bird can contract. Um, but just general every year health care, you need to have a healthy a wellness checkup once a year. And every five years or so, do some pretty extensive blood work. And, you know, you're looking at three to $500. Wow. So it, it can be quite expensive. Do you happen to know if pet insurance covers birds? I don't know of the names of the companies, but I do know that there are at least two that do cover birds. Oh, that's good. So at least yeah. some of it might be offset by yeah, what you get back in insurance. I, I haven't looked into their policies or anything, but I do know that I've seen two that will accept pet birds. So yeah. that is good to hear. In your experience, what do you think is the number one reason that people decide to give their pets up, their birds? I would sum it up to just being life changes. Um, again, a lot of people get the bird and don't realize, you know, well, well, let's use an example that someone got them when they're in their 20s and they're single and life's wonderful and they have a lot of time for the bird because they have nothing else going on in their life. Then they end up getting married or dating or getting engaged. And then their attention isn't so much for the bird any longer. It goes to the new person in their life. Okay. And that can traumatize the bird. Oh, yeah. Um, they they form bit, very know, strong and, commitments and, and mm-hmm. bonds with their people. Mm-hmm. You know, and then other life circumstances that none of us can foresee coming, but, you know, such as foreclosure on your home or other instances where your your living in situation has changed and you can't take the bird with you. Mm, that's so sad. I know yeah. it, it. my my parrot, I have a cockatoo, just loves uh. all of us. Um, he loves my youngest daughter more than anybody. He, she's the love of his life. I, I don't know what we're going to do when she goes off to college. He's going to be heartbroken. But it's just amazing how intelligent he is and, and how much he really considers himself a part of our family. It's so Absolutely. evident in everything that he yeah. does. But I will say it's a lot of work to have him. We, we've we repaired our dining room uh, table chairs um, so many times because oh, he'll I know. climb up you know, and he'll take a big chunk out. All it takes is a second to turn your back and uh-huh. there's something that's been gnawed into. <laughs> <laughs> My husband um. has become very proficient at using uh Wood filler and and varnish <laughs> to, to repair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it, it it tends to happen. That's another thing a lot of people don't realize is they they don't mean to. It. It's just in their nature to be destructive. Yeah. Yeah. It know, reminds me so. of the story of the scorpion and I think the turtle and the turtles taking the scorpion across the river after the scorpion promises him that he won't mm. sting him and he does it anyway and the turtle says, Hey, why'd you do that? Now we're both gonna die (laughs) because it's in my nature and that's what it's like with a parrot they just they can't help themselves like you said no no they can't you know and even with the bad behaviors that we get birds turned into us for none of it is ever really their fault no and i hear one of your little guys in the background right now that's another thing That's true. I mean, that's a Malacan cockatoo, and a lot of people don't realize that their loudest call, which they generally use in the morning and at night, Mm -hmm. it's just their natural instincts, is the same decibel level as a jet engine at takeoff. (laughs) Um, That can rattle your neighbor's nerves quite easily. Oh, my goodness. Yes, it can. (laughs) You know, and, and in the bird's defense, it's not excessive calling. It's just natural instincts to call in the morning and at night for its flock. 
Yeah, so, yeah. You know, that's just kind of nature has its way. I just would strongly suggest people that look at getting cockatoos don't necessarily live in an apartment. It's probably not a good combination. You know, that's how I got my cockatoo. He belonged to an elderly woman who lived in a very small senior community where it was basically apartments that were right next to each other and she started getting a lot of complaints and she had to give them up because of the noise and she was pretty heartbroken he ended up going to a couple more places before he ended with me but yeah he the the worst story we've ever heard in our organization is frosty a and cockatoo who when he finally arrived at our our organization to come into the foster program had 13 homes and he was only in his early 20s wow that is that would be so hard that's traumatizing i mean that's like taking again a two-year-old child in foster care and switching homes every two years wow it's just sad and it makes it hard for them to bond to their final family it does but the good news is if the person has a lot of patience and time and, and just a really easygoing personality, a lot of times these birds will rehabilitate into being, you know, wonderful pets again. Um, you know, that's mostly the case. There are those few occasions where there's just nothing that can be done to reconstruct the bird's psyche. But we've had a lot of good success stories at our organization. That's fantastic. And I know that you at Peace, offer some educational events and, and well, yeah, special programs? Is, uh, I mean, people don't realize PEACE's main purpose is education um, outside of doing the fostering and taking in the unwanted birds. So we do a lot of outreach programs to the public, you know, trying to get, so even though you may not be a bird lover or someone who wants to own one, just making you aware that the plight of a companion bird is the same as a cat or dog. Mm-hmm. You know, there is an overpopulation problem. And just not enough good homes for that many birds that are available. Wow. And when are these educational seminars or events well, planned? Well, uh, the, the seminars that we hold, and um, we ask that you uh, register prior to attending these, is our monthly seminars. And they're held the last Sunday of the month on Game Street at the Department of Animal Services here in San Diego. Okay. And that starts at uh, check-in is at 12.30, and it runs until about 2.30, 3 o'clock. And we cover a very variety of subjects. Uh, this last one we just did for the month of September was called Living with Amazons. Oh, and we had okay. a lot of turnout with people that just wanted to get an update on anything that was new about the care of that specific species. Oh, that's so um, cool. And the month before that was about living with cockatoos. And again, mm-hmm. it was specific to the, the challenges that come along with owning that type of bird. Okay. Um, and then we do also educational seminars for the adopting person who is uh, looking to adopt from us. And those are done more on a one-on-one basis with oh, either nice. myself or one of our other volunteers. Very good. And if somebody wanted to adopt one of the parrots that you currently have in your system, how would they go about doing that? Is there a way that they can see well, the bird? I would I would first start by going to our website, which is simple. It's peac.org. And on there, there's um, a section where it lists all the current birds in our foster programs with some bios on what their personalities are like or what their past was that they came to us from. And if there's a bird on there that strikes your fancy or you want to know a little bit more about, then go ahead to the contact part of the website and send an email. And I'll be glad to get back to everyone who sends us a request that they're interested. And uh, then I generally send them, you know, kind of a generic email, just giving them the basic, you know, steps that take place for adopting. 
Okay. Well, I'm glad you were here to explain it all and to give everybody your website, and I hope that a lot of our listeners who are interested in parrots will meander on over and and peruse through all of your good information. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having us on. It's a pleasure. You're always welcome. And we need to take a very quick break now, but when we return, Marianne Dill has a new batch of animal-related books to review. So stay right where you are, and we'll be right back on KJAZZ 88.1 FM. We're back on the Pet Place Radio Show, and joining me now is our esteemed Pet Place book reviewer. It's Marianne Dell. Good morning, Marianne. How are you? Good morning, Marie. I'm just fine. How are you? I'm doing okay, and I understand we're going to be looking at two books today by one of your favorite authors. Yes, and this is sort of a bittersweet look at these books. Dr. Sophia Yin lived in Davis. She had a veterinary degree that she earned in 1993 from Davis. Uh, She was a practicing veterinarian, and after she had practiced for a little while, she realized that so many more animals were dying in shelters because of behavioral problems than were dying in veterinary offices or at homes because of medical reasons. And she went back to school and got a master's in animal science and dedicated herself for probably the past 20 years to educating veterinarians, groomers, dog trainers, behaviorists, and everyday owners into how to have a really well-behaved dog or cat who enjoys living with you and in ways to raise them, train them, and interact with them that cause little to no stress for all involved. And she just recently passed away. She did. She passed away on September 28th, um, sadly, by her own hand. Oh, no. I don't know any more details than that. Nobody knows what was behind that, and all we can do is be very, very sorry that someone who was just a bright She was one of those people who always had a smile, was always laughing and upbeat, and knew exactly how to explain things in a really positive manner, Um, had something so sad going on in her life that she felt that was the only way to deal with it. Wow. I'm very sorry to hear that. I know that she's... uh... She's a very special person to a lot of people in the animal rescue world and animal lovers in general, and I know that she'll be missed very much. She will be. We found out that her staff is going to continue her work, which is terrific news. One of the things that I, in particular, liked about her is, unlike so many of the people out there who purport to be dog trainers, behaviorists, whatever moniker they put on themselves, Don't base things on science, and Dr. Yin did. Mm -hmm. She was a scientist first and foremost, and she handled things in a way that had been proven to work because of research. And she was a big proponent of positive behavior training. Absolutely. 
Her last book, which was called Low Stress Handling, Restraint, and Behavior Modification of Dogs and Cats, is it's written primarily for veterinary staff mm-hmm. and handling of animals in vets' offices to keep them calm from through simple things like clipping nails and putting a muzzle on so that they're safer to handle mm-hmm. to restraint, um, blood drawing, all kinds of things, and, and keeping it all positive so that the animals... She, she really um, was a big advocate of take five to ten minutes to acclimate the dog or the cat to the nail clipper, the muzzle, the towel you're going to wrap around it, whatever, the needle, so that it's not such a horrendous thing when you do whatever you have to do with the animal. That's so cool because I know so many animals are petrified of being at the veterinary office, and a lot of vets, they just want to power through everything that they're doing without any real compassion toward what the animal is feeling. And I just feel like if they take a little extra time and and talk kindly and softly to the animal and pet it and let it become comfortable, it makes all the difference in the world. It really, really does. And she kind of started a revolution with this book of people realizing there was a better way to do it, that we didn't have to have animal patients who were freaking out every time they walked into the vet's office, Mm -hmm. who could actually come to look forward to it. A lot of us in the behavior training world have long advocated desensitization and counter-conditioning for dogs who have high stress in a vet's office. Take the dog to the vet's office when it doesn't need to go to the vet's office. Stand outside. Sit in the lobby. Feed it really, really good treats. If the vet and the staff have time, let them come by and feed the animal really good treats. And then leave. Mm-hmm. Nothing happens except good food. <laughs> and it can go a long way toward helping an animal understand, hey, maybe this isn't just a place to be stressed. It's a place where good things can happen. Yeah, definitely. And she just built on that by pairing all the things that need to be done in the vet's office with good stuff and also safe handling techniques that lessen the amount of stress on an animal, how to pick up a small animal without stressing it out, how to hold a cat so it can't move away from you and claw Mm -hmm. and stress itself out and stress out the handlers. And as we all know, sometimes if an animal lashes out because it doesn't feel there's any other recourse, we often almost just react without thinking and lash back. And that's not a good situation for anybody. So this book is actually something that I think could be very useful in veterinary clinics of animal shelters. Absolutely. It could be very useful for animal shelter volunteers and workers. How to get a dog out of a cage, how to get a cat out of a cage with, without applying so much stress. How to get an animal into a crate or into a kennel. That's Without. so important because shelters are so stressful for every animal that comes in. Even the most happy-go-lucky pet is going to have a certain amount of stress in an animal shelter. So if the staff can be knowledgeable about what to do and how to handle that animal, it's going to end up becoming more adoptable and more attractive to people who are coming by to take a look. Absolutely. I think this should be required reading for anyone who works around animals. So what are the two best books that you think people should be reading? Well, I think this is one of them. Um, I 
there's a lot of stuff in here that people are going to look at and say, well, I don't really need to know how to hold my cat when its claws are being clipped because I don't do that. True, <laughs> but you could have a discussion with your groomer and ask, yeah. how do you restrain my cat when you're clipping his nails? Well, maybe you might want to try this. I read this book, and mm-hmm. here's some pictures. It's full of pictures. Everything is illustrated. Oh, nice. Right way and wrong way. And she also has certifications that you can get through her website, com, in low-stress handling and restraint. Oh, very good. And she has people who teach it, and she has courses you can take so that you can get certified at either the silver or the gold level. And I know if I ran a vet clinic, I would be having all my staff go through that. It sounds like it's a must for everybody who works for animals in a clinic, in a shelter, at a grooming facility. It just sounds perfect. It it really is. And she also has, I mean, she was just one of the reasons I had so much respect for her. Um, sure, I'm sure she made money off her books and her appearances and everything else, but she put so much free information out there for people, yeah. for the average dog owner. If you go on YouTube and you search for Sophia Yin, there's probably over 100 videos on how to wow. teach your dog to walk dog to walk nicely on a leash. Mm-hmm. How to teach your dog not to jump. How to ask your dog to ask permission. All kinds of stuff. How to how to stop a dog from gnawing on you. <laughs> as you know, many dogs, particularly puppies, will do. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and she has free videos on there also on a lot of this low stress handling. Okay. And ways to do it. So, again, I, I think this is just an absolute gold mine of a book. Um, and what was the title again? It's called Low Stress Handling, Restraint, and Behavior Modification of Dogs and Cats. Okay. And there was another one that you recommended called Perfect Puppy in Seven Days. Yes. And, again, you don't have to just have a new puppy to benefit from this book. Mm-hmm. This is a little more aimed at the typical dog owner, and she starts right from the neonatal period when puppies are first born through mm-hmm. two weeks, when their eyes first open, and why it's so important to handle them in that time period, why it's so important to get new puppies on new types of surfaces, have them walk on concrete and carpet and tile and grass and sand and have them, once, they're, once they start to hear, have them listen to different sounds and why you shouldn't wait until your dog is six months old and spayed and neutered and has had its rabies shot to start training. Mm-hmm. Because anytime you're around your dog, the dog is learning. That's and it's right. learning what it can do. So you don't have to wait till you can officially go to a dog training center or class that requires your pet to be spayed and neutered and vaccinated. You can start doing all of this stuff on your own from day one. Absolutely. When I got my dog Fly, he was 10 weeks old, fresh out of the shelter. And a friend of mine came over to see him the second or third day I had him, and he was sitting. He was auto-sitting by then. Okay. And she was amazed. And she said, how could that little puppy learn to sit? Um, And I said, it's really simple. Every time he does it, I pop a treat in his mouth. (laughs) And every time I walk up to him, I wait until his little butt goes on the ground, and then I pop a treat in his mouth. (laughs) And he says, hey, I get it. Put my butt on the ground. (laughs) 
They learn. Their minds are just like children's minds. They're like sponges, and they soak everything up. Yeah, that's for sure. You know, they have to learn how to how to live in this world with these creatures who don't speak the same language and walk on two legs and make all these weird noises and have all these <laughs> strange expectations. And I know you've incorporated all of these methods into your own personal brand of training. Are you still offering training services to the general public? And if so, what's your website? I do do some training, not a whole lot. Probably the best way to reach me if you wanted to contact me about training would be to email me at flypupmom, that's F like Frank, L-Y, P like Paul, U-P-M-O-M, at gmail.com. Wonderful. Marianne, thank you so much again. It's been a pleasure talking with you, although I'm a sad subject, and I hope you come back again with more books because we all love them. I'm sure I will. We need to take one last break, but don't go away because we'll be right back with Pet Place News and Events here on KJAZZ 88.1 FM. back on the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm Marie Hewlett, and it's time for Pet Place News and Events. Today, from 7 a.m. to noon at the Rose Bowl in Area H, join the race to save lives with a fundraiser and adoption event for dogs, cats, horses, and wildlife of Southern California. Participate in a 5K, 10K, 1K dog walk, or a kid's fun run. And after the race, stroll the vendor and adoption fair, enjoy food trucks, face painting, pet psychics, a dog costume contest, and special guest Jane Lynch. Can't join the race? You can donate or sign up for the couch potato race or come for the vendor and adoption fair. Visit www.racefortherescues.org for a schedule of events and to register. And don't forget to check out our website at www.petplace.org to send us your comments or suggestions for the show and see what other fun animal-related activities there are on the Pet Place calendar. You can also visit us on Facebook. Just add backslash Pet Place Radio after Facebook.com. Well, that's all from me today. Remember... Pets need love and a home, too. We'll be back next weekend with more of the Pet Place here on KJAZZ 88.1 FM. I'm Marie Hewlett. Please spay or neuter your pets and have a wonderful day. Mm -hmm.